0: From Los Angeles, California, this is the Writer's Strike Chronicles, and I'm Tanya Barnes. Hello everybody, today is Wednesday, February 20th, 2008. In today's episode, I wrap up a series of recordings made last week when the membership of the Writer's Guild of America voted to lift the restraining order and end the strike. The proposed contract is pending a vote next week. Here, I meet with two people who are not writers, Attorney Jonathan Handel with the law firm Troy Gold, and Damon D'Amato, who in addition to being a teleprompter, has also been covering the strike as a citizen photojournalist. But before we start, a couple of news and notes. Over the weekend, I downloaded and listened to one of my favorite podcasts, On the Media from NPR. I blogged about it at strikechronicles.com because I found it to be a fair analysis about the strike and the proposed contract. On the Media asked the question, did the writers get what they bargained for? And NPR's Kim Masters offers her take. In my blog post, I've embedded a player that features the actual story and also hyperlinked the transcripts as well. Okay, that's all I have to say. Let's begin with today's episode. We'll start with Jonathan Handel, an attorney for the law firm Troy Gold, who practices digital media, entertainment, and technology law. He begins this interview by sharing with us his opinion about the proposed contract. Let's listen.
1: Sure. I'm Jonathan Handel. I'm an entertainment attorney with the Troy Gould Law Firm in Los Angeles. And I blog at jhandel.com, which is J-H-A-N-D-E before L dot com, as well as on the Huffington Post.
0: Oh, you do? Yes.
1: Yeah. And also Always On, which is read pretty widely in Silicon Valley.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Why did you start your blog? Well, I started blogging
1: initially, uh, actually before the strike. To talk about all sorts of intellectual property related issues, uh, particularly related to digital media and entertainment, mm-hmm. uh, which is the area of law I practice in. But I'm a former Writers Guild Associate Counsel. And so, what happened as the strike developed was it became clear that there wasn't anyone else with that sort of a background and with a current background in digital media law okay. uh, and a background as an applied math and computer science person. I was a computer scientist before law school. You know, and, of course, those were the big issues in the strike, okay. new media. that really brought all that together. And so I just started producing analyses, uh, memos and papers and blogging. And uh, then started talking to the press, and people started calling me, and it, uh, one thing led to another. And I've, uh, I've been in the press now about literally 150 separate times, uh, about 200,000 web hits. Since when? Uh, since uh, mid-September.
0: So um, take me to points of the deal that you're, I mean, actually, you probably know way more about it than I do. Can you talk about the deal that they're, they're voting on?
1: Sure, um, it's a uh, it's a good deal, but not a great deal. Um, what it does is establish a beachhead in the internet for the writers, and that was critically important. The writers really have to count this strike uh, a qualified success. They got uh, they didn't get everything they wanted, but a negotiation's not a shopping spree. You don't get everything you want, or even necessarily everything you deserve. But what they did do is successfully face down six multinational media conglomerates, huge, powerful companies and achieve for themselves a place on the Internet, which was a place they didn't have before. Among the strong points of the deal, uh, in particular, is um, Internet jurisdiction. In other words, when new content is created for the Internet uh, or for cell phones or other new media, whatever they they might be, uh, the Writers Guild, in many cases, will now have jurisdiction if that work is done by one of the signatory companies, one of the major studios, one of the Hollywood production companies, one of the networks, and so forth. There are terms and conditions on that. They don't have jurisdiction over everything. There are certain budget thresholds. There are details to this. And uh, it's a complicated agreement. The existing Writers Guild agreement, just by way of comparison, is 650 pages. That's more than 10 times as long as union agreements in other industries. It's it's, Yeah, it's huge. The uh, summary of the deal that they sent out, uh, that's available on the Writers Guild website, I believe, is four pages single-spaced. The contract language is not yet available, but it's probably several dozen pages. So there's a, there are a lot of ifs, ands, buts, and conditions to all of the reporting, and you'd have to go to my blog, jhandle.com, to see some of the details in terms of the analysis. But it, again, is a good deal, though far from a perfect one for the writers.
0: Okay. Twenty years from now, when there's another disruptive technology that disrupts the way entertainment is done, any advice for writers or artists on the line?
1: Well, I think it's going to be a lot sooner than 20 years from now before we, we see disruptive technology. Silicon Valley is in a state of constant innovation. Silicon Valley is not going to take an ambient and stop innovating. And so what we're looking at is that even three years from now, there will be change in business models, in viewership habits, in websites, in media and technology. Six years and nine years from now, whatever it might be, because these are three-year contracts, these guild agreements, People are going to look back at what we're calling new media today and say, that's old hat, we've got new problems. Nice. Yeah. And that unfortunately means that probably not three years from now, but maybe six or nine years from now, uh, we'll come to brinkmanship and maybe even another strike, though I certainly hope not.
0: Okay. Uh, I talked to a writer on the line who had some cynicisms about Google or perhaps the Microsoft Yahoo deal and saying they will be the new moguls that, that the writers will be. Up against? Do you think that's true? You know, the the strategy that a lot
1: of the internet companies have followed is to uh, to control distribution, but not to finance the uh, the the creation of content. Yahoo, for example, at one point was trying to create original content. Mm-hmm. They didn't find that economical, and mm-hmm. they uh, they gave up on that. Mm-hmm. So, exactly what role the Google's, Microsoft's, Yahoo's? Uh, AOLs and who knows who else, uh, and YouTubes of course, of the world may play is not clear. But there is definitely um, a cause both for concern and for hope. A lot of times in Silicon Valley, people at one company will refer to another company as a frenemy. Yes, yes,
0: I'm aware of that. You
1: yes. know, and, and, and meaning both a friend and an enemy. Yes. So Google, uh, on the one hand, uh, even today, is a friend because it's a channel for distribution of, you know, of your work if you're independent writer-director, for example. But it's also perhaps not so much of a friend because right now, at least, you don't get paid for it.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Google is a free distribution channel. Uh, the Internet is like that. It makes the, uh, the flow of income and of payments complex. Uh, you really have to balance out how much is it worth it for me to have my work exposed and seen by other people versus wouldn't I like to get paid for it? And, you know, that answer and that question is uh, different for people in different places. Uh, I blog a lot, for example, at at jhandle.com. No (laughs) one pays me for that. Uh, On the other hand, there are professional writers, you know, at Variety, who write for Variety but also write for Variety's blog. They're getting paid for it. Should I stop blogging until someone comes along who pays me? That's not the calculation I made. On the other hand...
0: So why are you blogging?
1: Well, I'm blogging for a few reasons. One is, the, uh, and perhaps the biggest reason, is the satisfaction at being able to play a constructive role in a very difficult process. There's no one else out there who is blogging, who has the experience as a lawyer at the Writers Guild that I've got, and the experience as a lawyer working in New Media, and the Applied Math background, which is very, has turned out to be very helpful in analyzing the economics of these deals. Uh, you know and the experience in the entertainment industry so it was kind of a unique place to find myself and it, um, it was one of those things that I looked at and said I, I could not do it basically.
0: Yeah. Do you have any advice for creators and artists creating content on the on the internet today?
1: Yeah in the first instance if you're um, if you're a um, an aspiring writer director a new writer director I think probably the first priority is get your work out there and seen by as many people as possible so that is Does that mean giving away for free? That does mean giving away your content, at least initially, for free. But you want to be very sensitive both to getting the exposure uh, and also to figuring out when the time is to make a transition to being paid for your content and how to make that transition. That's probably the hardest thing and the most difficult thing to figure in the, uh, the Internet world.
0: Okay, I know this is kind of different because it's about mostly my question is about the music industry, the art of music on the internet mm-hmm. as opposed to the art of film and screen on the internet. Right. But are mashups is that art or is that stealing intellectual property?
1: Are mashups art or stealing IP? The answer is both, and that's what makes it so difficult. Mashups are occupy a very tough place in the uh, in the intellectual property world because they are creative, uh, they're important, they're artistic and yet they involve taking massive portions of someone else's work, and that's not permitted under the copyright law. That's the trouble. I personally enjoy mashups, yeah. but what the law has to say about them is a different matter.
0: Do you have any mashups you could recommend?
1: Well, the uh, Kanye West Diamonds Are Forever mashup is fantastic. <laughs> I think it's, it's very political. Uh-huh. Uh, it's well done. It's a pleasure to listen to. Uh, It gives you a new appreciation and perhaps a new criticism of Uh the uh, the original Shirley Bassey uh, song. Okay. So that's uh, that's my favorite.
0: Do uh, Do you think writers and uh, anybody and more of the film writing side of things? Do you think they have any concerns about this kind of thing, mashups?
1: Well, you know, it's the studios that have those concerns in the first instance because the content is being taken and not being paid for. But as writers, directors, and, and soon probably actors, achieve this internet jurisdiction and internet residuals in particular, I think you're going to see them as well becoming more and more sensitive to the question of, gee, my content's being seen and used by more people, but am I being paid for it? Because now that they participate in those revenue streams from the studios, they, the writers, directors, and actors, have to be concerned as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. Anything as we wrap this up? Anything you want um, my audience to know as we wrap this up?
1: Well, what we have next to look forward to, of course, is the actors' negotiations. Good point. And we don't know how those are going to go. Uh, the Screen Actors Guild is a more assertive union uh-huh. than AFTRA. In the past, they've
0: Ooh, yeah
1: in, in the past they've negotiated together uh, yeah. jointly under what's called the Phase One arrangement or agreement. Uh, That's lasted for 27 years. Uh, SAG recently moved to sever that arrangement and to be able to take a more aggressive stand independent of AFTRA. They've since backed down a bit from that, but SAG nonetheless has said that they consider something still on the table that the writers have compromised on and that they do not necessarily think that the writer's deal is going to be the perfect template or the complete template for their own.
0: So any advice to SAG actors and AFTRA actors as we go into the next few months?
1: Well, I think the advice of the actors is to um, uh, is a contradictory one, really. Is to, on the one hand, stand firm, but on the other hand, uh, be, be realistic, and also calculate the effects and the costs of a strike very carefully. This was a very costly uh, endeavor for the writers and for the town as a whole. Unfortunately, because of the way the studios began negotiations in July, uh, it seems unavoidable.
0: Interesting. Okay. Thank you very much for your time. Sure.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure.
0: Diamonds are forever. That was Jonathan Handel, an attorney for Troy Gold, who specializes in digital media entertainment and technology law. You can find his blog at Diamonds
1: are
0: Coming up is Damon D'Amato. A teleprompter and a citizen photojournalist who's been covering the strike. His photos can be seen at Flickr, and his username is NoHoDamon. That's two words: NoHo and then Damon. Good
1: morning. This ain't Vietnam still People lose hands, legs, arms for real. Little was known of Sierra Leone and how it connects to the diamonds we
2: own. Hi, my name is Damon Tomato. I'm a I guess I'm a photojournalist, citizen photojournalist, and I've been shooting the strike since pretty much day one, about as, not quite as closely as Tanya has, but I've been down here a lot, and I see a whole bunch of press vans down here. There's got to be... Fuck time. Six. Six yeah. or so uplink things and full-on satellite things. Well, I want to know where these guys were when these guys were striking, when they were never on the news.
0: Where do you think they were?
2: I think they are off... Uh, You know, shooting stuff for their corporate owners.
0: Yeah, okay, let's see who's here. It's NBC?
2: NBC, Fox News. Fox News loves to cover strikes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Two different Eyewitness News vans, a CBS van. I don't know. Let's see, we got Time Warner, we got... Who owns ABC? Disney is represented here today. Yeah. And Fox News, which is owned by Fox, and NBC, which is owned by Universal, or which owns each other.
0: Nice. All right. Why are you here?
2: I'm here to take more pictures. I think this is my last chance to get uh, some interesting shots of these guys fighting for their uh, fighting for their lives.
0: Okay. So, from your experiences of doing what you've been doing as a citizen journalist, any right. well, come on, we're just learning our craft. Okay. Uh, well, any advice to other podcasters or photojournalists or vidcasters, anybody, new media?
2: Figure a way early on to make money at it because... <laughs> Because this costs you money. Yeah. It's, uh, but uh, it's fun. I, I, bought a, I bought a digital camera pretty much because, just before the strike, but for a, to shoot a different demonstration. And thank God I did, because if you're shooting film, that's another thing. Don't bother with film. It's way too expensive.
0: Ready to go back to work?
2: I am so ready to go back to work. I've actually had a couple of jobs, um, like, you know, like, infomercially kind of things. Yeah. So it's actually kind of interesting that, like, that stuff's coming back and the regular stuff should be coming back. And I hope to approach... Local 600, maybe start doing stills for a living this year. Right. We'll see. Cool. Hey, we're being shot while being interviewed. Oh right,
0: okay. Any comments on Strike TV? Because I know you've been involved with Strike
2: them. TV. I, as a matter of fact, we, we wrapped uh, principal photography on Peter Higuchi's. Uh, me first, which is really going to be funny. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually I'm, I'm doing some graphics for them. Anyway, I, I hear a guy on the strike line the other day talking about Strike TV, and I interrupted. And, oh, I and he's shooting, and you should come. He's doing an animation. He's having his people do their voice session on Thursday from like 2 to 6 or something like that. I'm going over to shoot that. You should come and get interviews. You should talk to that guy.
0: Okay, sounds like fun. Okay. okay. I'll, I'll run him
2: an email and ask him if, like, you know, okay. if, if Tanya comes. I'm pretty sure he knows okay.
0: Anything as we wrap this up, anything you want people to know 20 years from now when there's another strike?
2: When there's another strike? Fight for everything. The corporations will take everything they can, and when you're not looking, they'll take something else. They have something up their sleeve. Even with what seems like gains here, I feel like there's something up their sleeve. I I just know, know too much.
0: You know too much. I
2: remember telling you my story about uh, ABC. What happened to KBC, at Disney-owned KBC?
0: No. Are you going to go on record now? Uh,
2: this is common knowledge. They brought a contract to the, the employees at, at KBC that said your, all your cameras and all that stuff. Anything that's not operated by a computer will be, a, will be covered in your contract. Like a kit,
0: and
2: your kit. Like like shooting like the like the news on TV yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. I think you know some of the other shows too. They immediately went out and put all computer-controlled cameras and audio and unprotected all those jobs. They Just like the first thing they did, it was always up their sleeve. They totally went to them and said, no, it's just the computer. And I'm aware of this because I'm a, I'm a teleprompter operator in a, in a different life. Yeah. And like it's like, oh, yeah, they screwed the teleprompter operator. He's the one computer job, maybe a graphics guy or two. And no, everybody got screwed on that one. So be careful with what cards they have up their sleeve. They will pull them out.
0: Okay, thank you very much. Sure. You have been listening to the Writer Strike Chronicle podcast, available for free through iTunes. For more information, visit us at www.strikechronicles.com. To contact us, please call 310-439-8754 or send us an email at info at strikechronicles.com.